John chapter 11, where we see Caiaphas, the schemer. John chapter 11, please stand for a gospel lesson. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. From that day on, they plotted to take his life. This is the word of our Lord. Please be seated. I, I love convenience. And I don't think I'm any different than any of you. I love, I love convenience. In fa- fact, I think I love convenience so much that God knew that about me. And so he put me in a time period in history so that I wouldn't have to use the outhouse outside when I need to go to the bathroom. He put me in a time frame where I have indoor plumbing. And I love convenience so much so that I think the Lord put me right here in New York City because he knew how much I would love having everything that I could possibly need within a six-block radius of my home. I love convenience, and I don't think I'm the only one here that does. On the other hand, I do not like inconvenience. I do not like being stuck in traffic. I do not like it when the weather does not cooperate with my own plans. And I don't like it when I go to a store and they either don't have what I want or it takes them too long to get it. I don't like being inconvenienced. And again, I don't think I'm the only one here who would say that. But what happens when being a Christ follower inconveniences you? What happens when what you want is different from what you know Christ wants for you? Do you push him aside like we see the schemer Caiaphas doing in a lesson or not? I want to set up this lesson for you today to understand how this came about. What, if you look in your Bibles, the, the section just before this, we see a miracle of Jesus. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And I guess if, from a human perspective, if you were to rate these miracles, that one is pretty amazing, isn't it? Right? He brought someone back to life, someone who had been dead for several days, and he brought him back to life. And it's, it's an incredible miracle, not only to you and me who hear that, but also to the people. Because what happened was, it says right after this miracle, that many of them believed in Jesus. He was gaining followers. But it also says something else, right? The verse just before our lesson. It says, Some of them, the the witnesses of this miracle, went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And that sets up our lesson for today. As a group of leaders, the Sanhedrin had to talk about Jesus. Listen to what it says. Again, the opening verses of our lesson. It says, Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. 
What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Now, the Sanhedrin was a group of Jewish rulers in and around Jerusalem. The Romans, remember, were in charge of this entire area. However, the Romans gave some power to some of these Jewish leaders. There were 71 of them as a part of this Sanhedrin. And they had a a substantial amount of power. They had their own police force. They were able to make arrests. They could not execute anyone, as we will find out later on in our Passion history. But they did have a substantial amount of power, didn't they? And when they found out about Jesus and how he was gaining all of these followers, it wasn't just jealousy, but it was a threat. They saw Jesus as a threat. They saw Jesus as someone who threatened their job, their authority, and their power among the Jews. Even more so, their human reason went to the next point to even say, if the Romans find out about all these followers that Jesus is gaining, they might look at it as if, the Jews have crowned their own king, and then they're going to send an army down, and they're going to wipe out all of, all of us. Something needs to be done, they said. Now, I want to point out in this discussion that these, these leaders were having, what wasn't found in this discussion? They weren't talking about what we so often hear about today. When people talk about Jesus and the miracles that were performed, oftentimes the discussion is about, did Jesus really do those miracles or not? Did he, did he really bring someone back to life or not? That wasn't the discussion here. There was no one talking about it. In fact, they admitted, it seems, that this had happened. They had some eyewitnesses who saw exactly what had happened there, went to the Sanhedrin. There may have even been members of the Sanhedrin who witnessed miracles that Jesus performed. They weren't discussing whether or not Jesus actually did those powerful things. The discussion rather took a different direction. They were talking about their jobs. They were talking about their power, their authority. They were talking about the Romans. It seems as if they had missed the point completely. See, logically, we think, you know, why, why were they talking about that? The, the human reason should have led them to the fact that, okay, if this guy is doing these powerful miracles, who is he? He must be someone important. And especially Jews, they should have been able to put it together a little bit quicker that this guy just might be the Messiah. What if this power isn't coming from Satan? What if it's coming from God? Because if it is coming from God, we better not scheme against him. We better join with him. But their human reason, their sinful human reason, took another path towards their own selfishness. And so they were talking about their own job and the Romans. But then Caiaphas, the high priest, stands up. The moral and religious leader of the people stands up. And he yells at them, it seems. He says, you know nothing at all. And first you say, all right, Caiaphas is going to let him have it. He, as the high priest, he's going to direct them to the, the prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah who's going to come. And he, as a high priest, more than anybody, has the job of pointing people to the Messiah who's going to come. He's going to help them see that. Or maybe at least he's going to point them to the fact that they don't need to worry about their jobs or their authority because God is in complete control of the situation. But that's not what Caiaphas said. 
his sinful human reason guided him a little step further than even the rest of the Sanhedrin was discussing. He says this, You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Translation, If Jesus is threatening your job, get rid of him. If Jesus is inconveniencing you, kill him. It made sense to him, according to his selfish human reason. And you would think, well, no one would go along with a plot and plan like that. That's, that's evil, especially coming from the moral and religious leaders of the people. But what does it say? The very last verse in our lesson, it says, From that day on, they plotted to take his life. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever hired a hitman before. I don't think that any of you have ever tried to kill anyone or even succeeded in killing anybody. That's what bad people do, right? And definitely not someone who should be the moral example of the people, the religious leader of the people like Caiaphas. How could he go so far off of what he was supposed to be? How could he even get to the point where he thought, and everybody else thought, that this was actually good and right to do? That sinful human reason, wasn't it? As we look at Caiaphas, this schemer, I want you to just consider, are we all that different from him? What happens when Jesus inconveniences you? What happens when you're faced with the dilemma of, do I do what I want to do, or do I do what Jesus wants me to do? What, what do you do then? Are there any parts of Scripture, parts of Jesus' teaching, where you might disagree or just simply dislike and wish they weren't there? Do you ever feel resentment for the pain you feel in your conscience, for the pain you feel because of guilt of a past sin? And you know that if you weren't a Christian, you wouldn't have to feel that guilt. Has being a Christian ever inconvenienced you? See, being a, being a pastor for the last several years has given me the, a unique opportunity to talk to a number of people about their own dilemmas, not only in the church, but even outside of the church. Um, and oftentimes the dilemma is faced, do I do what I want to do or do I do what God wants me to do? And I know that when I present it like that, it sounds obvious what the person should do, right? But usually those difficult dilemmas are never or never seem to be to the person that simple, do they? And the reason is because of our sinful human reason. Human beings have this unique ability to be able to convince themselves that anything is right and good for them. To the point where I have heard people defend themselves in their sins of homosexuality, I've heard people defend themselves in their sins of fornication, in not paying their taxes, and arguing with their spouses. And it always seems that conveniently they utilize their ability when it most benefits them. See, I don't know what is more incredible in this lesson. The fact that the moral and religious example, Caiaphas, and people like you and me push our Savior Jesus to the side so often in their life. 
or the fact that even though we push our Savior Jesus to the side so often, our Savior continues to come to us. See, that's what happened with Caiaphas. In what he said, in that one-line sentence that he said, God used that for good, for Caiaphas and for us, even in that evil plot. Again, listen to that one-line sentence of what Caiaphas said. He says, You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Now, what Caiaphas meant and what Caiaphas wanted was something very logical. Well, we have the option here of all of us die from the Romans, all of us suffer, lose our jobs possibly, or one man suffer and we kill him. But God had in mind a bigger plan, a greater plan. That one man would die for all the people, spiritually. And he did. This is what it says in the verse following that. It says, He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. You see, even though Caiaphas is intended to remove the inconvenience from his life, namely Jesus, God had in mind to remove the greater inconvenience of his life, namely sin. There is a lot of irony, maybe as you can tell from this lesson. Uh, irony that shows God's love, his ultimate power, and his control of the entire situation here. It's ironic that the high priest, the one who was supposed to be a type of the Messiah and pointing the people to the Messiah, plotted to kill the Messiah. It's ironic that the high priest, Caiaphas, who, when trying to save his own job, actually prophesied the end of his job through the ultimate high priest who would come and and all the Old Testament high priests. It's ironic that Caiaphas tried to destroy Jesus' work when in actuality he was prophesying the success of Jesus' work. And it's not irony, but it is unconditioned love and the fact that we see this person, this, this rotten person, Caiaphas, who is to be a moral example, a religious leader, plots to kill the very Son of God, and yet he was one for whom Jesus died. And we can say the same thing about us too, right? You and me, who are to be moral examples, religious people, so often push aside Jesus because he inconveniences us, we are one for whom Jesus died. See, what Lent does, the season of Lent, it it helps us to see the deep darkness of our soul at times. Pulls away the veil of who we are trying to portray ourselves to be and helps us to see who we really are inside. And that's scary. But there's another side of Lent, too, that we see, this this silhouette that contrasts the deep darkness of our sin with the blinding brightness of the love of God's Son, Jesus. What would happen if your rational mind was guided by unconditional love? What would happen if a person's rational mind had no sin in it but was guided only by unconditional love? What would that look like? Later on in the Passion history, we see that. See, we see Caiaphas one more time. 
And he is going to be nose to nose with Jesus himself. And this happened right after Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. They took him directly to the Sandrin, and he stood there in front of Caiaphas. Caiaphas, who was guiding his own decisions based off of his sinful human reason, and Jesus, who guided all of his decisions based on his perfect love for mankind. And the question that he asks Jesus is this. And this is at the end of Matthew. He says, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus could have easily said nothing. He didn't have to inconvenience himself by answering. He could have just said no comment. But he didn't. And he decided to inconvenience himself more than anybody else had in this world. He said, yes, it is as you say. From that point, he was charged with blasphemy, and he went to the cross. When we put in perspective the degree to which our Savior Jesus inconvenienced himself to us, I think it changes our definition of what being inconvenienced means. Don't you think? Here in New York City, maybe even more than anywhere, I don't know, um, it is not convenient to be a Christian, is it? It's not convenient ever to get up on your day off, go out in the cold, try to get on a subway that's not running, and try to get out here for church. It's not convenient to use the little time that you have to serve Jesus. It's not convenient to give the little money that you have to serve Jesus. It's not convenient, and it never will be. But convenience is no longer our goal, is it? Everything changed when we see how our Savior used his own human reason, guided by love, to sacrifice everything for others. Do you remember the end of that prophecy that Caiaphas said, what the result of one man dying for all would be? Remember what it said specifically? It said, when talking about Jesus died for all, he said, for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. We are brought together with Jesus and with each other. And now our goal is not to serve self. It's to serve our Savior and each other we have a far greater comfort and convenience that's waiting for us in heaven someday. And that's what we look forward to. Amen.